Hello, and welcome to this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty, a resource to equip and encourage leaders to make disciples who make disciple makers. I'm your host, Chris Swain, here with Robbie Gallaty, the pastor of Long Hollow Baptist Church, founder and president of Replicate Ministries. So much of our effort and emphasis is on getting people into the church building that when they do show up, we're kind of like, man, that was the success. But what happens after that? And that is where I think typically churches can, can struggle or fail to realize the importance of what we do after that determines if those people return again. I don't even think you need, yeah, and I don't even think you need to think of it as Easter Sunday or a Christmas event or a musical uh, outreach opportunity if you do those. Um, I, I think if one family comes in your church, if you have one guest come into your church, you need to begin to think. And that's a stewardship issue, right? God, God would allow people to come to our church. God moves in the hearts of people to respond for salvation. God moves in the hearts of people to respond with baptism. It's our duty as pastors and leaders to not only leave them where they were, but to move them into a maturing Christ-like follower. Now, here's the challenge for most pastors, most leaders. And I've been here before years ago was a new pastor i didn't have a process for spiritual growth so so let me ask let me and i ask pastors this when i when i speak to pastors about revival and spiritual awakening we're all praying our church at long hollow we are praying fervently now for a move of the spirit not only in our church but in our country in the world really but let's just be honest if god were to respond to that prayer in your church pastor or leader and you were to were to see a book of Acts revival, Acts chapter two, three thousand people get saved by God's grace. They're literally like the first, second great awakening. They're they're coming to the church. They're not going to the bars. They're not out partying. They're they're actually coming to your church. They get radically saved. Do you have a spiritual process for maturing believers in your church to move them from walking across the threshold of faith into a faithful follower of Christ who can replicate the process with someone else? See, the reality is most pastors would say no. Or trust that there's something in place somewhere that they think can can facilitate it. Because what happens is we are always in such a desperate struggle to find volunteers in our churches. We need more people to work with kids. We need more people to work in the parking lot. We need people to greet. We need people to be ushers. All of these different roles in the church, we're, we're constantly, it seems, at least in most churches that I've been a part of, it, we're constantly trying to find people to plug into those leadership roles, to, to find where their service uh, can make an impact, where they have a passion. And uh, because we're almost always looking for them, when it, we, we rarely think what would happen if we had all of these people who suddenly could do these things. Yeah. Uh, what, what exactly would we do if, like you said, 3000 people were suddenly ready and available to serve in some way, we wouldn't even have the, the stuff, if you will, the jobs, the, the opportunities, the places of service for them. And so that's a, that's definitely a, a challenge. I think one of the statements you make in this article is, is interesting. I want you to elaborate on it. We have been taught a non-discipleship gospel. Uh, remember, God saves us to sanctify us. He takes us where we are, but doesn't leave us where we were. What is a non-discipleship gospel? Just to clarify that. Well, and I would, let me add one more thing before what you said earlier, which I think is important, is that we move people from the point of salvation, and we say to them so often that you need to be saved, which is true. And we forget to show them that not only what you're saved from is sin, 
but God actually has saved you for something. And if we could begin to think that way, that baptism is not the end of the line, you know, that's not the finish line. Baptism is the starting line where the real work begins. Begins. So I would say the non-discipleship gospel is the forgiveness-only gospel, uh, the salvation-only gospel that we tell people, listen, you don't want to go to hell, do you? I mean, really, nobody wants to go. And I don't. I didn't want to go to hell years ago either, right? But the problem is you tell them you don't want to go to hell, get fire insurance for heaven, and whether you follow the Lord, that's optional. Salvation's essential. Get this. Discipleship's op- optional. Following Jesus is optional. So what happens is with that mindset is that the spiritual disciplines in the Christian life become recommended but not required activities. Sure. Whether you read your Bible, it's up to you. Uh, whether you pray, who cares? Uh, whether you show up for church, look, you want to go to the Tennessee Titans game or you want to go to the Pittsburgh Steelers, you want to go see the Nashville Predators, go do it, have fun, and church is optional. But for Jesus... Those activities that he expected from them would be regular activities of obedience. See, one of the key elements of the Great Commission that we leave out so often is that Jesus told his disciples, after they're baptized, teach them to obey, observe all that I've commanded you. He didn't say, just teach them to pass a spiritual questionnaire so that they can say amen at the right spot so we can pat them on the back and say you're saved. Because here's what here's the reality. In most churches, and guys uh, and, and girls, listen, I'm, I'm guilty as charged. I mean, I used to do this. God would walk an aisle. I'd give a public invitation at Emmanuel Baptist Church. Morgan City, Louisiana, small church, held about 180 people. Church would be packed. We'd have a lot of excitement there. Somebody would walk the aisle on Sunday and say, Pastor, I want to be saved. I'd pray with them after the service. During the worship song, and you know, you only have three to four minutes, I would turn them around at the end. I would say, folks, here's Mike Jones. He just gave his life to Christ. Let's give the Lord a hand. The whole church would go crazy. We would pat him on the back at the end of it, give him a Bible. We'd say, read the gospel of what? Uh, Luke, or I'm sorry, John. John, John yeah, Luke. John no, nobody ever went to Luke. No, 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 Luke. <laughs> Luke's extra credit. No, Luke's extra credit. No, you always start with John, right? I don't know how we got here. I mean, yeah. it's like it's like hey, I think here, it's Baptist, John the Baptist. So we're thinking it could Baptist, be John the Baptist, it in, could even be. though that wasn't John the Baptist that wrote. I don't know. I don't right, know. exactly. But but we say read the Gospel of John and suck it up, Mister Jones. We'll see you next week. Yeah. <laughs> and and we want listen. We wonder why people are falling away. We wonder why people are not living in maturity. We wonder why people are not growing in their faith. It's because we have left them to figure this thing out themselves. We would never do that in the business world. We'd never do that in the educational realm. We don't even do that to be a doctor, okay? To be a doctor, not only do you have to learn the information in academic world, in the academic world, but you have to go through what's called a residency program where you shadow a doctor for years, okay? You know what that is? It's discipleship. Like before you can operate on a person physically, you have to learn to follow and and be shepherded by a person uh, practically. And so I think we have missed this non-discipleship gospel. So what I mean is we've only taught half the gospel. This is what you're saved from. We actually haven't told people what they're saved for. Well, and I think the highest value we place on our people a lot of times is exactly what you said. Did you invite somebody? Did that person make a decision? And then the greatest thing you can do is serve in some capacity here in the church, which is awesome. 
But if the highest value of your faith, if, if what you celebrate the most is the hour you serve in a room on a Sunday morning, which is definitely impacting lives, I don't want to minimize that. Um, but if that's the greatest extension of ministry that you're pouring out, then I think you're missing out on the discipleship ministry God's called you to do, to invest your life into the lives of others. And you can do that within the context of whatever that ministry you're serving in. But I think you're absolutely right. It's that investment. It's that emulation of what Christ did. And I think ultimately, like, for instance, if you look at this tweet here that we sent out from this article, it says, what we cannot expect to experience the results of Jesus's ministry, go back to what you said earlier, Mm -hmm. if we divorce divorce ourselves from the method he emulated for us. And that's exactly what you're saying. We he, This is what Christ did, and this is what we are currently doing. And, and somehow these two things are not lining up. Well, let me let me go back because I want to say something on what you said earlier. You, you, you nailed it. We tell people to invite people to church. We tell our people to show up to church. We tell people to serve at the church. You, you see the key right, word right, there? Right. The church. church. It's focus. all the church. Yeah. So what happens in most Christians' lives is that we compartmentalize our entire Christian existence to a building one to two hours a week, yeah. okay, or one hour a week. My question is, what do you do the 167 other hours a week? Right. Right? I mean, because, <laughs> hopefully so. because for- Hopefully more than just Hopefully that. it's yeah. more than that. But see what happens, and it's not even the fault of our people, because we have taught them what it means to be a Christian. A good Christian shows up at the services, a good Christian's put their kids in Sunday school or a life group, a good Christian brings their kids to VBS, puts their kids to Wednesday night, and it's all at the church. And I'm not discounting the church. We need to come and worship uh, as a family and, and grow together through the edification of the preaching of the word, but it's more more than that. And what happens is if we compartmentalize it to a building, then what happens is people, when they leave the building, they throw away their Christian life like the crumbled up bulletin they will throw in the trash on the way out. And then they pick the bulletin back up next Sunday and their whole Christian life is that one hour a week. So I want pastors to begin to think, leaders to begin to think, what are you mobilizing your people to do outside of the weekend worship service? Right. Like, are you equipping them and empowering them to live the Christian life 24 hours a day, seven days a week? Are they looking at their neighborhood as a mission field for the gospel where, where, where God has literally brought people from all over the world to live on your street to be an opportunity to share the gospel with. That's good. And I think we, we know that. So we see the problem. We see the challenge. I think anyone listening would say, I, I can agree that we, we have a problem here, but the solution is what we want to get to. So what, what is the solution for that? And you offered three subtle shifts that we can make. Um, planning to multiply is the first one. Bill Hull uh, once wrote in a great book about disciple making, only healthy disciples reproduce. Mm. Only healthy disciples reproduce. And in one of your subtle, subtle shifts being planned to multiply, what does that look like in the context of we got all these visitors. They came. How do I take that step from new guests that show up, whether it's Easter or any other week, and multiplication? What, what does that look like, and how can I press into that as a leader in a church? Yeah, well, and Bill, Bill nails it there because if you know anything from the agricultural world of growing, if you tried to grow a garden or if you tried to grow a plant or, or a tree – you know that healthy things grow. Disease things don't grow, but healthy things grow. So if you can move your people to be healthy and growing themselves as disciples, then the natural outflow of that is they will be disciples who make disciples. And I think you get them to start thinking 
outside of themselves. You see, most Christians have a consumer mentality, right? They all tune to the same radio station, WIIFM. Have you heard of this? I have not. Okay. WIIFM, what's in it for me? Oh. <laughs> okay, you've heard this one before. And that's what they said. Right. Pastor, how can you serve me? And that is a childlike faith, right? And I'm not saying we all haven't been there because when we first come to Christ, when we move from being an infant to a child, it's still about us. Right. They're looking for how can the church serve me? How can the church minister to my family? How can the church uh, help me? How can the church uh, give me opportunities to be better at X? But when you move into the adult phase, from the child to adult phase, you start moving from what's in it for me, and it's what can I do to serve others, okay? And that's a shift from consumerism to being a co-worker, a co-worker in the ministry. And you start asking yourself the question, not what can the kingdom do for me, it's what can I do for the kingdom, okay? And that happens when the pastor moves, get this, from executing all the ministry himself to empowering his people. Now, I know people are listening and they are literally burnt out in ministry. Ministry is challenging, right? I mean, it's it's difficult. It's unlike other uh, professions where you can, in a sense, turn off the work when you go home. You know, Chris, I mean, we're in ministry. So when we go home, it never stops. We're always talking about ministry. We take the burdens of our people home. We shouldn't, but we do at times and we give them to the Lord. But the reality is this, most pastors are burnt out. A lot of them. A lot of them are tired, okay? A lot of passion. And here's the reason. Because they have bought into, whether it's the people's fault or theirs, the holy man myth, okay? And here's one of the ways we can train our people to start realizing they can partner in ministry. Here's what the holy man myth says. That the leader of the church, the pastor, has some kind of way been given a direct line to God of spiritual expertise that is superior to everyone else in the church. What I mean is this. If the pastor doesn't show up for the event, if the pastor doesn't do the funeral, if the pastor doesn't do, and I'm talking about senior pastors here, the wedding, if the pastor doesn't come visit me in the hospital, then ministry didn't happen. Let me, let me give you an example. First church again, Emmanuel Baptist. One of the first guys I met at the church was Mr. Jimmy. I love Mr. Jimmy. He was a great guy. He was an older retired guy who knew, and it was great for me because he knew where all the shut-ins were in the church. Okay. Do, you, do you know that term, yes. shut-in? Yeah. Yes. For people who don't know, I didn't know the term, but the, these are older folks who are shut in the home. They can't get out and do much. And they can't get out. I don't know why we call them it, but that's what you call them, right? So they're, sh- they're shut in the home. And uh, so he would know where they were. So I would spend my, my days, new pastor, visiting all these people. And Mr. Jimmy would take me. So he was really a good friend of mine. So you can imagine how bothered I was when one Sunday after Mr. Jimmy had been out for a week because of back surgery, word got back to me after the sermon that Mr. Jimmy was mad at me. And uh, one of the deacons said, hey, uh, Pastor Robbie, listen, Mr. Jimmy's really upset with you. I said, why? Uh, well, he said nobody has come and visited him. I said, well, that's not true. I said, I visited him before he went into the hospital. Jonathan, who was on staff, was another pastor. He went and visited him before the surgery. Ted went and visited him after the surgery. And Todd visited him at his house this week. So I know that's not the case. So Candy and I went over to his house, knocked on his door after church. Hey, Mr. Jimmy, how you doing? He said, oh, pastor, not good. I said, I said what do you mean, Mr. Jimmy? He said, come on in. I said, why are you not doing good? He said, well, nobody came and visited me. I said, well, Mr. Jimmy, Jonathan came to the hospital before the surgery. Ted came and visited you after. Todd came to your house. He said, oh, no, Pastor, you didn't come visit me. 
That's the holy man myth. Yeah. Right? Like if like if you don't show up, ministry doesn't get done. And what you have to show people is this. God has called us as pastors to be effective in ministry when we Ephesians 4, 11, 12, 13, when the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, the mentors, equip the saints for the work of ministry, the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, the maturity. Now, here's a principle I want people to get, and this is really a profound insight I found years ago. If you outline those verses, 11, 12, 13, it's the mentors equipping the saints for ministry, and through ministry, they will mature in Christ. Now, for most of us, we practically reverse the order. We don't count 11, 12, 13. We count 11, 13, 12. So what we say is this. It's the job of the mentors to do the ministry themselves. And when people are mature enough, verse 13, then they can engage in ministry. So what we say is this. Keep coming to church, Mike. And when you get that degree from seminary, we'll let you serve. When when you've been in enough Sunday school classes or life group classes, then eventually we'll let you teach in our church. Get another, get another degree on the wall, we'll let you serve. And what happens is this, and I'm not saying we put new believers into ministry right away. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is Paul showed us something amazing. Watch this. Paul showed us through 11, 12, and 13, when the mentors equip the saints to do ministry, ministry becomes the pathway for maturity. And here's what he's showing us. There are some levels of maturity that we will never attain to outside of engaging personally in practical ministry. Very different approach than a lot of us do in church. Wow. Well, I know that uh, one of the challenges with with this whole idea of visitors and and how we move from uh, celebrating just a high attendance number or new guests showing up and, and try to help those folks get plugged into the life of the church and minister to them and make disciples of them as we're commanded to do. So in wrapping this up, is there any final word you would say, or you'd want to add to that? Um, we know it's Christ who does the work and we're privileged that he allows us to, uh, co-mission with him as we go out. So what would you say is your, is the, uh, the final key here? Um, just, you know, if you could just wrap everything up with, with one final statement or, or final comments on, uh, how we connect visitors beyond just that big Sunday or big event or just any, any week that, that we would have a lot of visitors in the church. Uh, what's a final word you might give on that? Okay. So here's what I'd say. And there's more we can say, and I'd love to follow up with this with another, cause there's a lot more to say, but I'd say this one thing you can do is this begin with the end in mind. Okay. You need to move the end beyond the decision. You need to move the end beyond the, the salvation experience. You need to even move the end beyond the baptism uh, of profession of one's faith by an outward decision of an inward desire to follow Christ. And you need to begin to think with the end in mind, a maturing disciple of Christ who replicates their life. So what I would do is I would get your staff team together. I would put that picture on the board, something we did years ago, and I would back that up through a process or a pathway. And I would begin to think, how can we move people through the process for a pathway for spiritual growth? And when you do that, you begin to think with the end in mind. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty. If you don't mind, take a moment to subscribe and share the podcast. You can find out more about disciple making, resources related to disciple making, and our customized training on our website at replicate.org.